Hello, and welcome to the Yosemite Area Creatives Podcast. My name is Tom Shiavon, and I'm recording from Yosemite Cowork in Oakhurst, California. I'll be your host as we yak with artists and artisans from the picturesque Sierra Mountains surrounding Yosemite National Park. Yosemite Cowork is designed for people who work from home, entrepreneurs, and anyone else who wants to get work done without distractions. The space features standard desks, an upgraded desk with monitor and dock, and a conference room that can be reserved for calls or private meetings. Customers can work from just a few hours to a full day, and monthly plans allow unlimited, 24-7 access to the office and discounted conference room reservations. With 250 megabit internet in a quiet environment, it's a perfect place to take conference calls, perform high bandwidth tasks, or just be able to focus on a project. Included in any pass is free reverent coffee, Tazo tea, and bottled water, as well as printing, scanning, or faxing. Whether you just need to take a few calls or to escape from the kids long enough to finish a task, Yosemite Cowork is an ideal place to get work done. Interested in learning more? Visit YosemiteCowork.com to view pictures of the space and see pricing options. I like to refer to myself as a scamateur photographer. I make pretenses, but I'm not actually very good at it. Our guest today, Mike Amati of Mariposa, is the complete opposite. I first came across his work at the Mariposa County Fair while walking through the photography exhibit. I have pretty active 8 and 11-year-old kids, so there isn't much time to slow down and enjoy photographs. But as I made my way through the hall, there was one name on work that consistently caught my eye. I decided to look him up on Facebook and send him a message expressing my appreciation of his work. And despite the subtle stalkery undertones of such a request, he responded kindly. I found out later he received 22 awards at the fair. I didn't speak with Mike again until I decided to start the podcast. He was one of the first names I came up with when putting together a list of guests. He agreed to meet with me and chat about the podcast, and he was warm, kind, and encouraging. When we talked about his work, I got chills a few times, and we ended up talking for far longer than usual. I actually had to break the conversation into two episodes. You hear a lot about how sports, right? Sports becomes like teaching you about life and all that kind of thing. But another one of the things that I think has stood out to me as we've been talking is um, in the pursuit of excellence, right? Malcolm Gladwell talks about your 10,000 hours that you have to put in to become mm -hmm. like an expert in anything. But it sounds like as you were listing all the different places that you like to photograph, um, there's a lot to learn about photography and getting better as a photographer, but also um, a lot to explore in the park, a lot of different angles to mm -hmm. capture. And so it seems like really as you, you could photograph in the park for 50, 60 years and still be learning and growing and, and, and changing and, and seeing things differently. Yeah, it, it's totally true. And, and it's one of the things that as I continue on in film photography, um, I, I like to then make it more complicated for me as, as I, as I go along, like, uh, you know, so for example, I do a lot of large format photography where you have a camera that's basically a box with a bellow and a lens and you have a film plate and it takes like 15 minutes to take a picture with a, with large format, right? You got to set it up and you got to focus with the loop and you have to meter and by s slowing that down, slowing that process down, 
you really start to understand light and you really start to understand, um, you know, your environment and what you're doing. Um, and uh, besides the fact that it just creates such a wonderful experience, um, you really end up making great photographs because of that, you know, because like you put so much into each individual piece of work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I always tell people and like young people are understanding this about film is like, if you slow down, right, you know, stop turning around and taking a selfie, but pay attention to the picture, pay attention to the, you know, the, the light, you know, pay attention to, you know, where things are in the photograph and the, your various elements. Um, you're going to get great photographs. And, you know, people say, how come my iPhone photographs don't look like that? I'm like, are you really taking the time to compose and take your photographs? Mm -hmm. Or are you just clicking as fast as you can? Right. You know? Yeah, I think I think imperfection is something that's becoming um popular. Right. Again, you know, like record sales are up and and that's being driven a lot by the younger generation. I saw a uh a statistic the other day that I think Taylor Swift was the number one album, like vinyl album artist of the last year, which really surprised me. Wow. Um, so maybe there's, there's hope yet. I think that's one of the things that it's, it's hard to, I work in tech also. Um, and so a lot of what you're doing is making efficiencies, automating things, mm -hmm. trying to make things perfect, trying to reduce risks and take humans out of it. Um, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm wondering if there's some of that where in your work, right, that's, you're, you're very tech related, right? And it's all about efficiencies and stuff like that. But it sounds like maybe there's kind of a, a ritualistic self-care almost of being able to return to film. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 youth today is starving for the analog experience. And they don't even realize it until they experience the analog experience and say, oh my God, this is different and this is really cool, right? Um, you know, I remember going to the park uh, you know, five years ago and I would be the only person with a film camera. And then slowly over time, I'd see one or two. And now I go there and sometimes you go to tunnel view and half the people have a film camera. They're always young people. I'm the oldest guy by far at 57, right? You know, um, and they always have a lot of questions and I love answering their questions, you know, especially when they look at my large format camera because, you know, and I'll look at them and I'll joke and I'll say, you know, you young, you young whippersnappers are what's driving up the price of film and film cameras. I used to be able to get these for nothing. And they laugh. And I said, I, I think it's absolutely great that you're picking this up. And they, they really enjoy that whole slowed down analog experience. And they're starting to, and you know, of course you're starting to see, wow, I kind of like listening to a record with a few hisses and pops in it. Right. right? And, uh, you know, wow, that, that old fashioned guitar amp does sound better, mm -hmm. you know? And I said, well, you have to remember that we're not digital creatures, we're analog creatures, right? Right. You know? So, you know, we do enjoy that slowed down experience. And I, I think it's good. I, th I think it's good to see that, you know, I, I saw this um, uh, documentary called The Impossible Project about the uh, guy who restarted the last Polaroid film plant um, in, uh, the, in the Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. And what he went through. And, and now you can 
bipolaroid film again and people are buying polaroids and my daughter even though she has an iphone she wanted a, a little printer so she could print out you know little pictures and stick them on her wall they want this tactical tactical experience you know this analog experience and i'm thinking that's good you know there's actually hope you know yeah for our youth yeah i think you know there's a whole nature versus nurture debate and all that kind of stuff that we could you know go into i'm sure but uh, I think the reality is that for thousands of years, humans have lived a lot slower and things have sped up in the digital age. Um, and, you know, th but they talk about lots of uh, teenage depression and things like that and the, the, the pressure on them to look cool all the time on social media. And so, yeah, I think that that returning to maybe uh, Thoreau was right, right? You, we've got to return to the woods every once in a while. We've got to like recharge and we've got to get back in touch with, maybe it's not realistic to do that all the time, right? Because we have to live in the world that we live in. Uh, but returning to what humans have done for a long time and mm -hmm. allowed them to to slow their minds down and have some, some peacefulness. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a Luddite. I mean, you and I here are both wearing uh, Apple Watch Ultras, <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I, I hung up my mechanical watch because I, I love the the um, capabilities of technology, and I I do like my iPhone and, and my technology, um, and I embrace it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but at the same time, you know, I I really love my analog life as well right uh and uh, uh you know again um i think it's great that you're starting to see young people actually starting to embrace it and and even the fact that on social media they're talking about it right mm -hmm. you know like my kids want to cook something because they saw it on social media and i used to be a chef so i'm like yeah i'll show you how to make you know buttercream or you know whatever it may mm -hmm. be you know uh you know, and and just the fact that that uh, um, you know the trend is moving towards actually more of an analog lifestyle. Um, I think it's a good balance, right? Um, I will I will not abandon technology, even though I live in the mountains, because there's a lot of great things it brings us, right? You mm -hmm. and I both worked in that field, so we know that, right? Um, but uh, I will continue to embrace and you know help people, you know, learn about the pleasures of, of living an analog lifestyle as well. That sounds like a, a great title to your book, right? You need to write a book now, The Pleasures of the Analog Lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Living in the Mountains, it's perfect. It's Walden Part 2, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, w I was reading that, when I read that book in high school, and uh, he, I think he threw something out the window. It was like a paperweight or something like that. I think he threw out the window because it was like, too much for him. I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to go that far. But uh, um, a yeah. paperweight was too much for him. Yeah, I think it, it was something on his desk and yeah, his yeah, yeah. at Walden Pond. Um, okay, well, it, you know, I, it's been great talking to you. I, I first saw your work at uh, the Mariposa County Fair, which just to to brag for you, uh, I think we said before what you got twenty two total awards. Yeah, yeah. And was, 10 uh, blue ribbons? Yeah, 10 blue ribbons. Uh, uh, well, then I had blue ribbons, red ribbons, white ribbons. Um, 
actually it was really funny. I was uh, one, uh, you know, there were by categories. One of the categories was uh, people, right? And I entered uh, uh, three photographs in the people category. And I remember walking in and looking at one of my photographs and it won a white ribbon, right? So it was one of my favorites, right? And then I looked at another one of mine and it won a red ribbon. I'm like, oh man, I wonder why that went blue. And then I looked at another one and it actually won a blue ribbon. And then I realized I actually took all three ribbons. Oh. <laughs> so I kind of like lost to myself, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> you know? there you go. So I just thought it was, uh, and it was really shocking. I was really surprised because, you know, when you take photographs and you look at them and you like them and then uh, you post them on your Facebook or social media or you show them to friends and they think, oh, that's, those are nice, right? But those are your friends, right? You know? So like you expect them to actually say something nice usually, mm -hmm. right? But when some complete stranger all of a sudden just rates your work and then you walk in and you, you know, I took best of show and, you know, people's choice and all this stuff. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, I was really, really surprised, you know, uh, to get to that. But uh, I will say this, though. I was more proud of the fact that my daughter at 11 years old won eight blue ribbons. Right. Right. Because it's like, oh my gosh, this was her first time ever. And she was really happy about that, you know, because I made her do everything. And it's like, all right, I'll show you how to mount them. And, but you got to take the pictures. I'll print them for you. But, and she did all the work and, and she won. So, um, yeah, it was great. It was, it was a very interesting and somewhat humbling experience, you know. And I actually sold one of my photographs to uh, someone who saw one and wanted to buy it, um, which, now officially throws me into the professional category. There you go. So that means the next time I enter, I have to enter as a professional. You know? Oh, okay. Is yeah. that, they're different categories? They are, um, but frankly, I mean, I looked at the professional photographs and I didn't think they were any better than any of the amateurs, right? I mean, what's the difference between a, a professional and amateur? One gets paid and one doesn't, right? right? You know, so... Um, so yeah, if I do enter again, that's what I'm going to have to enter at, you know, enter in. So I might take a break this year though. Well, good. Maybe I'll put some of mine in and have a chance. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember one of your photos from the, from the, the county fair, the Mariposa County Fair. Um, and I believe it was something that had, it was like a fire had happened. Yeah. The Oak fire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh. It was one of my wet winners. Uh, actually made the front page of the Mariposa Gazette um, in my backyard. About two hours, two or three hours after the fire started, it was just this massive mushroom cloud as the uh, basically Jerseydale and Dara Road just went up in flames. And uh, it was a it was apocalyptic looking. That's That's the way I would describe it, you know, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, when I still look at that, I, I, that's an example of something where I can really remember how I was feeling when I saw it, you know, it's like, is this really happening? You know? Yeah. I was at a friend's house, uh, who's near the tr corner of triangle and Dara. And, uh, we were, covering the house with water. <laughs> yeah. I assume that would have made it just steam as it burned as instead of actually stopping. Did he anything. lose his house? No, he didn't. He was like two streets over wow. and we were, we were pretty close uh, to the whole fire while it was oh, happening. Yeah. And uh, it was raining fire from the skies at that point. It was uh, the, the grays 
and the blacks and almost like some purples and stuff like that were coming out of the in the sky uh it, it did feel apocalyptic like yeah this is something unusual one of the things that's kind of like sad about uh you know i mean it's you know uh that when god closes the door he opens a window some people say but um when when there's for when there's forest fires going on um especially near sunset you get the most beautiful skies mm-hmm. you know with the smoke kind of clouding it and you'll look outside and it'll just be gorgeous oranges and salmon colored skies caused by the smoke and it's kind of sad because it's being caused by a nasty forest fire right right but you'll look at it and it's like wow that's really beautiful actually you know yeah um I'm thinking of like the history of photography. And one thing that just occurred to me is, you know, I think a lot of times uh, with technology and everything in progress and all that kind of thing, we're trying to remove tragedy. You know, we're trying to eliminate that, um, but it still exists. I mean, we just had the the hurricane, I'm sorry, the earthquake in Turkey. We had Hurricane Ian, which I went to go see that devastation. There's it, There's not even a stick left on the ground where there used to be mm-hmm. entire resorts. Um, so there's a lot of different tragedies that, that just happen. Um, and with the history of photography, I think that was one of the first things that it did. I remember remembering the civil war is one of the first wars that was photographed and war had always been romanticized, but it, it showed war in a different light. And I think maybe brought it to the masses who often didn't see war. Yeah. You're touching upon a a subject that is extremely sensitive to me and, and something that kind of bothers me when, when people uh, get, a, get, get bothered with. Um, uh, photography is uh, many things, but one of the great, one of the things that I think is uh, one of the most important aspects of photography is it's, it's documentary, right? Um, so, uh, you know, people like uh, Alfred Eisenstadt, you know, um, who was a Jew from Germany, you know, photographed uh, a lot of things. And uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson, you know, these were like the first uh, street photographers, right? Um, when Leica invented the first 35 millimeter camera, it really freed people up to walk around and take street, do street photography because prior to that, everything was big, mm-hmm. Right. So all of a sudden you had this little camera where you can carry it with you and take pictures everywhere. And a lot of the pictures that we see of World War II and of the Vietnam War and of Cambodia, and um, these these are all documentary photographs. And some of them are just absolutely amazing photographs, right? And some of them are very sad, like watching Jewish people uh, uh, being processed by the Nazis and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So today, uh, sometimes people will go to areas and take people up pictures of homeless people, right? And post them. And then uh, oftentimes I will see people just bash these photographers that are posting pictures of homeless people and homelessness. It's like, how dare you do that? And things like that. And I'll tell them, I go, what are you talking about? This is documentary. Do you want to actually, life is not sunsets, bridges, and flowers, mm-hmm. right? And birds, right? San Francisco is not just beautiful sunsets and bridges. There's a ton of homelessness there, right? Mm-hmm. 
Now, I do understand maybe taking a picture of someone that, you know, you can uh, identify them and, uh, and, and embarrass them, right? But if, uh, if you're noticing squalor and you photograph it and post it, that's documenting a reality, mm-hmm. right? And people will really argue about this and get really angry about it. And I say, you're forgetting one of the most important things. You cannot pretend this doesn't exist. Right. Right? If you don't document it, how is anybody going to care to solve it? Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of changes that have happened to the positive in the world are because people were there with a camera to capture it on film and say, hey, look at what they're doing to these Jews. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, and maybe that's a really, I mean, we could get into a whole nother thing now. There's there's almost a democratic aspect of it. And I think that that has, um, throughout the history of photography, there's, and this is really important now, and definitely don't want to get into politics because, you know, there's lots of people on each side and it gets pretty heated. But I think one of the characteristics of our current political climate, especially in this country, is that there's a lot of denial and obfuscation of the truth. Right. And, you know, throughout, you know, people posting videos or things on on social media or just taking photos, you know, whether it was something like a, a Buddhist monk burning himself, mm-hmm. um, whether it was the piles of dead bodies in the Civil War, you know, Vietnam, the atrocities that were happening. Um, there's an undeniability. Well, <laughs> Photoshop has maybe changed some things, but, you know, in its best form, there's an undeniability of truth and no amount of power and um, lying and dissembling can take that away because there's a there's a preservation of it. It's true. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in Cleveland. And uh, one of the things that Cleveland's famous for is the Burning River, the Cuyahoga River, right? Um, and uh, there was an issue of Time Magazine where they showed the, the, the Cuyahoga River burning. Um, and when that made the cover of Time Magazine, that immediately caused the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency. That was a, that was a defining moment, right? Mm-hmm. And people say, you know, um, wow, you know, you know that it's great that that happened. I can't believe that happened. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the Cuyahoga River actually caught on fire thirteen times, right? But one time, there was a photograph that made the cover of Time Magazine. Yeah. And that's what caused the change right there. Yeah. Right. And I and, and I and I tell people that's why documentary photography is so important. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why you can't deny it. Um, yeah. And again, not getting into politics, the, the idea of, of cancel culture and canceling things and getting them out of the picture so they don't exist and maybe this will, this will fix the problem um, is not a good way to solve the problem. You know, like, for example, we have a problem with guns and and sometimes young people. Right. And I always tell people, you know, uh, and I'm a person that has a license to carry concealed, but I have to go through lots of training Mm -hmm. and people that 
you know, the, you know, statistically, people that have concealed weapons permits in the United States are some of the most responsible and safest gun owners, period, mm -hmm. because of the training. And I said, if you really want to help stop, you know, kids from killing each other or gun violence, don't pretend guns don't exist in the schools. Teach gun safety, right? Obfuscating and denying something doesn't cause the problem to go away. Right. Right? You know, understanding things. So you can't just cancel ideas, right? right and hope somehow the problem's going to disappear, right? Mm -hmm. If people are racist, for example, well, then talk to them and find out what's causing that, mm -hmm. right? You know, and people can change. I mean, um, who was it? Was it uh, in the movie... Uh, uh, Selma, uh, was it uh, George Wallace, you know, who was right. the governor, um, who was vehemently racist, but before he died, he completely changed his tone mm -hmm. because people sat down with him and he got to the point where he realized, I've been wrong. Right. Right. You know? So again, you can't hope to cancel and obfuscate things and that'll just go away. Yeah. Right. I guess that sounds, to me, that sounds similar to what we were talking about with Yosemite, right? Is that the underlying structure of it stays the same, but sometimes you're going to have those boring blue skies. Sometimes you're going to have, you know, dramatic right. cloudy skies. Right. So there's that person that stays, is the, the same person, right? But things can change about it and can evolve. And even though you take a snapshot of right. that person's life or of a, some kind of landscape, uh, that's, doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. Um, things can change and grow. Right. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing. When I was uh, talking to Ron Kalk, you know, the famous uh, climber who, who spends a lot of time in the park, and he was talking, he, 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 he brought something up that I thought was amazing. He said, you know, the great thing is like they should use, uh, he was, he was doing, a, doing a presentation, right? He's done some a couple of movies. And he said, You'll get a place like Yosemite and you'll get people from all over the world and all kinds of walks of life and they'll sit there and stare at Tunnel View and they can all agree at that moment that that's absolutely breathtaking and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you could take all kinds of people, no matter what walk of life, who they are, and they may have disagreements about a lot of things, certainly on politics, right? But they can certainly agree at that moment that what they're looking at something is breathtaking and uh, otherworldly and gorgeous. He goes, we should consider making like uh, national parks, like world peace centers, right? It's like, you know, we're all a little angry at each other. Why don't we all just go to the park? Right, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And all of a sudden it's like, huh, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a bad problem after all. Maybe we can agree on at least one thing here, right? Yeah, a anything that allows... Uh, I don't want to call it bipartisanship. Let's call let's call it cooperation, right? Uh, humanity, uh, human decency, right? <laughs> um, discussion, logic, anything that that facilitates right. that, I think, is is sorely needed at this point. And there's like actually nothing to talk about politically there, right? You know, right? Doesn't really even matter what you where you are in a spectrum when you're all staring at something that is just you know breathtaking and made by the hands of God, you know. Um, and whoever your God may be, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a, 
there are some places that I've been uh, that in the natural world kind of mimic that, what you get when you walk into a cathedral, right? Like that feeling of the other, um, of something kind of transcendent. And Yosemite is right. probably the, the highest on that list anywhere that I've I've visited. Yeah, you know, I always tell people, I go, Yosemite is my church. It's where God speaks to me without saying a word. Yeah, absolutely. I think even the old theologians would talk about uh, special revelation, which is like right. the Bible or whatever, right? And then then there's natural revelation, right, where God speaks through nature. Um, and there's definitely uh, places in the world that, that speak of uh, transcendence, as well as eminence and uh, and majesty and mm-hmm. something that's um, that makes you feel small. It's humbling, right? Um, you know, those are those are probably really important things. Uh, humility is <laughs> something I think everybody could use a dose of now, right? We're all right. convinced that we're somehow uh, geniuses who have everything figured out, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. at least judging by Facebook right, streams. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's a really good point of, uh, gathering in places that, um, take you outside of yourself and, um, remind you of your humanity and hopefully others humanity as well. Right. Is good. All right, Mike, it's been uh fantastic talking to you. I think we're, we're way over what, uh, we normally do as far as time, but I'm nah, going to try to edit keep... it down to the greatest hits, right? No, I'm going to try to keep it all. I love this conversation. Um, but thank you for for coming out. Uh, this has been fantastic. 